Beethoven's fourth piano concerto is a work of willful rhetoric and unprecedented power. And as such, it's every bit as revolutionary in terms of piano concerto development as the fifth symphony is in terms of symphonic development. And in fact, the two pieces are roughly contemporaneous. They were both received their first performance in Vienna in 1808. And what you get in the music of Beethoven of this period and onwards is a sense that he's inhabiting two spaces simultaneously. On the one hand, you've got the rich and glorious legacy of 18th century music, the classical era, the twin giants of Haydn and Mozart, and with them, sonata form, the basic architecture of all the music of that period, with exposition, development, and recapitulation. Now, if you imagine sonata form as, say, a box, and you've got Beethoven putting his music in this box, you get this sense more and more and more in this piece, and indeed in the Fifth Symphony, where he's pushing, he's bulging at the edges of the box, so that by the end of the piece, it's like the walls of the box have been reduced to mere pulp, but he's never actually fled from the box. The structure of sonata form is still essentially there. Now, the other space he's occupying, really, is just an extension of that, that he's been pushing and broadening and expanding the form, that that perfectly leads the way, makes a path for some of the great 19th century romantic piano concerto literature pieces by Tchaikovsky, Chopin and Grieg, for instance. But let's look at how this movement starts. It starts essentially with a question, very hushed, from the solo piano, Ronald Brautkamp. within that two things. Firstly, that that is a question which is actually going to take the whole movement to resolve, to understand, perhaps even to answer. But also within it, there is what you might call a motto theme, which is absolutely prevalent at this time of Beethoven's composition and in a sustained fashion throughout ba 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 Fifth Symphony. And there it is in this music. The orchestra join after that sort of unresolved resolution from the piano like strangers in a strange land, Ronald's finished in D major, they start in B major, and it sounds very peculiar. Now, if we carry on exactly from that moment, you'll hear immediately Beethoven is starting to chew over this question. is a, a fantastic Beethovenian device, and a device which proves him to be very much more a classicizing composer than a romantic composer. And the device is of incrementally increasing speed, obviously without changing the pulse, but gradually shortening the space, the intervals, the time on each note. I'll show you what I mean. Let's play bar 23. <laughs> Now, 
Now, are we going to the dominant key, which would be what classical style composition would suggest? No, the dominant key, that would have been D major. We're going to A minor, a very strange place. He's then going to prove through the sequence of the next few bars how he can modulate, even though he's been stuck in G major all up to that point. So much so that G major has become positively unstable, which is pretty weird for the home key. This is how this new theme starts in A minor. it continues and continues and by the end of it you're begging for G major to come back again. So we've got here essentially the orchestral exposition, a kind of introductory passage to the concerto before the music starts for real as it were with the entry of the soloist. I'm just going to play the last portion of that. It's unnaturally short this exposition in Beethoven's first and third piano concertos. He has huge great expositions. Here he's returning more to a model of Mozart, shorter and then the piano emerges wonderfully organically just so simply out of the hole. that delicate emergence of the piano. And then did you check the extraordinary bassoon writing? This is an idea that Mozart began, really. Emancipation for the bassoon, having been very much in the bass department, the bassoon can become a melodic instrument. And it does here, in the middle to the upper part of its range, it's a burnished, rich, almost agonised quality. Works a treat. Let's now look at the piano's first variation. Idea. The accompaniment to it is the usual rhythm, ba 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 ba. But now Beethoven slowed it to half speed. So what was ba 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 becomes ba 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 ba. Same idea, but drawn out. And this new idea in the piano, I think I'll call the blue idea. Beethoven's already taking the piano and the music into new realms of fantasy. You can hear the kind of Listian touches and indeed the Grigian touches in the piano writing in that blue theme. Now, there's another new idea in the orchestra. Again, we're already outside sonata form convention. 
First subject, yes. Second subject, perhaps, the blue theme. What's this? It's a third theme. Here's a kind of piece of variation. You get that blue theme that I called it, which the piano has, combined with the second theme that the orchestra had, which makes an absolutely miraculous effect. As so often in this piece, it could be that Beethoven would lose his, his taste factor and he'd start writing mere virtuoso display material. It couldn't be further from the truth. Everything in this music relates back to the initial core ideas. And that's such a key to the understanding of Beethoven that what he essentially works with is very, very small melodic cells or, or rhythmic cells and develops them. Not, not for him, necessarily, the great long expanse of melodic or rhythmic material, but very tiny ideas. Let's listen to that orchestral second subject now, completely reimagined. drama, you might say. Now, just following that, we get the orchestra finishing very much in D major, and then the piano, Ronald Bartcombe, comes in on an F natural, creating the most extraordinary false relation, just rather crassly, perhaps, to demonstrate that to you. Let's just play a D major chord. And listen to this F natural. Straight out of jazz, you might say. Well, it doesn't sound jazzy here, but it certainly sounds alien. drama that gets created through the use of that motto theme and before that when the piano came in with that strange and astringent F natural pitted against the D major chord in the orchestra just creating an extraordinary sense of something a kind of alchemy that's taking place 
Now, in the recapitulation section, so-called, Beethoven takes his Fifth Symphony motif, ba 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 ba, even further, and the piano forms a kind of delicious homogenizing quality in the middle of the texture. <laughs> Let's move on to the cadenza now, which traditionally is the point in the movement when the soloist has a chance to explore all the possibilities that the music has thrown up thus far. Now, when Beethoven wrote this concerto, it would have been very much the practice for cadenzas to be improvised there and then. But subsequently, he actually wrote down cadenzas for this he did, piece. Yeah. Well, if you look at the way he composes his own cadenzas, you can see that Beethoven actually adds to the, the original movement, so it's much more a composed cadenza than an improvised cadenza, and I can imagine that Beethoven didn't like it at all if other pianists would play their own cadenzas in his music. I mean, it, it's is that, do you think, because they were going to make them too virtuosic? They were going probably, to and he's, he's not really interested in, in virtuosity in itself. The music is difficult, but always because of a, a musical reason. Isn't it true also, though, that he wrote this cadenza at a much later stage and it was actually from a, for a larger compass, a larger number of octaves of an instrument than the one that he'd actually originally played the piece on? That's true, and that, amazingly, it works extremely well and it, the, the music just doesn't change. It's, it fits extremely well into the whole movement. It doesn't disturb at all. It's, it's, it's a fantastic piece of music. Well, we'll uh, wait with bated breath for Beethoven's version of that. Well, let's move on now to the slow movement, which is perhaps the most dramatically conceived slow movement ever written. Now, that's quite a claim to make. But it has these extraordinary two worlds coexisting or not, as the case may be. It's like one party isn't or won't listen to the other party. I'm going to play, first of all, what the strings have, because there's only strings in this movement. The winds and horns are silent. <laughs> other side of the fence at what the piano has to say. One still small voice. Here are his first two phrases.
As you will hear when we perform the piece later on, the combination of those two factors, the strings are stringent and very kind of pugnacious E minor, and this extraordinary delicate tracery of sound in the piano. Fighting would be the wrong word, because how could a piano fight like that? But somehow, through the sheer force of the piano's conviction, albeit expressed so soulfully and poetically, he does ultimately hypnotise the orchestra and draw them in and make them at one with him. Let's just explore how that happens. We play from bar 39 with the upbeat. of this movement, Beethoven asks the piano to play una corda, in other words, with the soft pedal down, which means that the hammer underneath each note is only actually hitting one string as opposed to the usual three, certainly in the treble registers of the piano, you know, you've got three strings per note. So by doing that, you completely change the timbre of the sound, don't you, Ronald, particularly on an instrument like this, because you've got four pedals and a lot more control over exactly how many strings the hammer is actually yeah, hitting. Absolutely. And there's this amazing point I want to look at now where uh, through three trills, upward moving trills, he asks for due e poi tre corde. In other words, that the hammer moves across to two, then to three, so to the full number of strings. You get a completely different sound as you work through those three trills. Have a listen. Then he asks for due e poi una. So we go back to one string for the close of the movement. And the strings come in with, again, very hushed E minor. Basically, this whole movement, apart from one tiny episode the piano had in D, is all in E minor. And when the strings come back in, hushed in the closing bars, you've still got that da-da, da-da rhythm in the cellos and basses. Just play it. that Beethoven finally finds the E minor in the treble part of the piano, hovering on that F sharp. Da, finally finding it is magical beyond belief. But the unfinished and almost unsatisfactory nature of that movement proves that it must be the springboard, a kind of defining medium for what is to come. And Beethoven wants what is to come to come immediately after that without any gap, any cough break or anything. We're into a rondo which starts in the wrong key. Thank you. 
Now, I say it starts in the wrong key because this movement should be, like the first movement was, in G major, the home key. But, willfully, Beethoven starts it in C major, the subdominant, four notes higher than G, which then means that throughout the whole movement, he's going to have to prove how he can constantly modulate to the wrong key and then finally find the right key. He's setting himself, as it were, a stumbling block. Now, when the piano comes in, he's immediately a variation. It's music that sounds new, but it's actually a variation of what we've had in those opening eight or nine bars. No mere repetition of the theme, then. You can hear already the variation at work. Now, I'm going to play that again. This time, I'm going to add in the other factor in that music, which is a solo cello playing what is actually quite an archaic style of performance. In other words, it's like a continuo instrument reinforcing the bass line of the music. So it's old in one sense, but it's also new, because imagine the very idea of this in what is a classical slash romantic kind of concerto. It's bizarre. Now, let's look again at reduction of time. It's an extraordinary thing, this classical process that we explore a little bit in the first movement. It happens again here. piano butting in there. It's not going to be left out of the picture for too long. You'll also have noticed, I think, that uh, from the start of this movement, suddenly the timpani and trumpets have joined, having been completely silent through the first two movements. What we get now is a most mouth-wateringly beautiful second theme, accompanied by a very low cello D. Time stands still. Again, Beethoven absolutely messing with our sense of where the pulse, where the next phrase should start. It's all part and parcel of what makes him such a genius that he forces you again and again to sit up and listen. Here's another example of the extraordinary level of variation inspiration that Beethoven is able to conjure up. Just listen to the cellos and the violins five bars in. They've got this amazing thing running up and running down with a hot spot in the middle of it. about this variation, what has been dagada, dagada, gets slowed down and expanded and eventually forms this extraordinary three-part harmony between the violas and solo cello, surrounded by a delicate high tracery of sound, a kind of sheen of sound, which is the piano. Now we get to what would normally be called recapitulation. It is essentially recapitulation, but the themes by now are suggested rather than actually stated. So there's room for even more variation. Mm -hmm. 
You get my point. Now, what about the reprise of that seductive second theme? But he's interrupted. He tries again. So he gives it to the cellos. Now violins. Then there's the cadenza. Following that, the orchestra rejoin for one final passage. And then, as a kind of coup de théâtre, Beethoven instructs Presto, cranking up the speed. Very, very exciting. And by now, simple fifths, which you hear in the strings, are all we need to remind us of the principal theme. concerto rockets off into the stratosphere, a piano concerto unlike any other before or since. 